Well, good evening, Providence Baptist Church. This is our Wednesday night Bible study for Wednesday, April 29th. I ask you to bear with me through this. I mowed the yard yesterday without taking my allergy medication, so I'm paying the price for it today, and I'm kind of coughing up some stuff, so just bear with me and pray the Lord to get me through this. But We're back in 1 Kings tonight, 1 Kings chapter 3. We'll look at verses 1 through 15. We're going to be looking at Solomon's request tonight. But before we get into our Bible study, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I ask you that you'll just go with us tonight as we open your word, Lord. And I just ask you that you'll teach us with the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask you that you'll just use me to teach your word, Lord, that people will hear your word and just apply it to their lives, Lord. I ask you to help us to seek to obey your word and live for you, Lord. I ask you to help us to be wise Christians, Lord, and to make decisions, wise decisions for your kingdom. And Lord, I ask you to go with our, our country right now, Father, and I ask you to help our leaders make wise decisions. Lord, I ask you that you'll allow us to be able to come back and meet together in your house, together as a church family, as soon as possible, Lord. Father, until then, I ask you to help us be diligent to continue reading and studying your word and listening to the preaching of your word online, Lord. I just ask that your <clears throat> word will, word will uh, permeate the internet, permeate all social media channels that it's going out on, Lord, and that, Lord, hopefully people who may not otherwise hear it will hear your word preached in this method, Father, that you'll bring them to salvation. Lord, I ask you to go with with our church family father i ask you to help us not to get used to not being in your house lord help us help this cause us to have a desire to want to gather together and be with you even more lord father when it's time to go back i ask you that you'll help us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together help us have a strong desire to gather in your house lord i ask a special prayer request tonight for brother jc bobo Lord, we thank you for letting his pacemaker surgery go well. I ask you that you'll help him heal and, Lord, just restore his health back to him. Lord, help his family as they take care of him. I just ask you to give all his nurses and doctors wisdom, Father, and you'll just help bring his health back, Lord. <clears throat> I ask you to go with Miss Lita Turner, Father. I ask you that you'll restore her health to her. I ask you that you'll guide her doctors in her kidney surgery, Father. I just ask you to give them wisdom and guidance, and Lord, just work all that out for your honor and your glory. And Lord, I ask you to let all these horrible circumstances in life that we face open our eyes to the brevity of life, Father, that we don't have forever here. and Help us make sure that we're in a right relationship with you. And Lord, I just ask you to all of it to bring honor and glory to you and point people to your Son, Jesus Christ, for salvation. Lord, we love you. I just ask you that you'll go with me and <clears throat> preach this message through me tonight, Lord. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, in 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, we see <clears throat> Solomon's request. You know, if you could wish for anything, what would it be? If you could have any wish in the world, what would that wish be? And what if your biggest wish really could come true? And what if the person asking you what you wanted actually had infinite resources to make your wish come true well that's the exact opportunity that god gives king solomon here in our text before us this evening 
But before we get into Solomon's request, I want to kind of look at a little bit about who Solomon is at this point in time in his life. The kind of man Solomon is right now. You know, up to this point, it's only been a short time that he's been the king of Israel, that he's been in power there. And already it's pretty evident that Solomon probably has the courage to lead Israel and be a good king. Up to this point, we've seen where he's established his kingdom by eliminating his enemies. We saw that in chapter 2. And we see that he's pretty politically savvy and he's a man of action. But what kind of person is Solomon on the inside right now? What kind of spiritual life does he have? Well, verse 3 in our text says that Solomon loved the Lord, walking in his statutes, or walking in the statutes of his father David. So if it can be said that David was a man after God's own heart, and and the Bible does say that, then from this verse we could say that Solomon is a man after David's own heart. So Solomon desired a close relationship with the Lord. And we see that Solomon is going to express his love for God in uh, several tangible ways. He worshipped God often. Uh, he, we're going to see in verse 4, he offers many costly sacrifices. It says in verse 4, the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. Now imagine offering a thousand burnt offerings there. That was a huge expense. It was expensive to him to offer all those uh, animals as offerings. And it also involved a lot of work, right? To sacrifice a thousand animals, that's a lot of work. But that's what Solomon did. So in that, we see that Solomon really proved his love for the Lord through his sacrifice to the Lord. Uh, It wasn't just a bunch of empty talk. He actually proved it. He actually went to worship God, and he actually sacrifice things that cost him something. I think he took after his father David in that uh, respect. David said he was not going to sacrifice anything to God that did not cost him anything. And we should have the same attitude. So Solomon, (coughs) pardon me, Solomon had a close and personal relationship with God. We see in verse 5 that when Solomon made his sacrifices, God appeared to him and he spoke to Solomon. God actually, they spoke to him. It's through a dream, but he spoke to him. Solomon also expressed his affection to the Lord through his prayer. We see that in verse 6. He said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to set on his throne as it is this day. So Solomon goes to the Lord in prayer here, and when he prayed, Solomon, notice what he did. He honors God for what God has done for him, and he honors him especially in keeping his covenant with his father David. God had made a promise to David that he would always have somebody from his line to set up on the throne, and now Solomon has taken that place upon the throne, David's son. So God has honored his promise to David and putting Solomon on the throne. Now we should show our love and appreciation for God in tangible ways as well, just like Solomon did. We should worship God privately, of course. We should also worship God publicly. We should go to the house of God, to the place of sacrifice, 
give our tithes, give our offerings in public, publicly acknowledge Him. We should also give costly sacrifices to God, just like Solomon did. Bring God honor and glory through giving Him something that actually cost us something. And we should also praise God as often as we can for everything that He has done for us and our families in the past. That's what Solomon's doing here. And we should rejoice and give thanks to God for His work of salvation in our lives. I mean, think about it. When was the last time that you actually gave thanks and praise to God just for saving you? For giving you a place in heaven? For saving you from eternity of pain and suffering in hell? We should give thanks to the Lord for that every single day. So I believe one of the things we should pray for in life is that we should ask the Holy Spirit of God to help us to love the Lord and give thanks to the Lord more and more every single day. So we see that Solomon is a is a man after his father's heart, a man who does love the Lord. <clears throat> but as much as he loved the Lord, I think we can see some early warning signs that Solomon's love was not wholehearted. You know, the traditional view of Solomon in First Kings is that he was faithful until the last years of his life. But I think if we look more carefully here, a little more closely, we see some early warning signs of his eventual downfall. Uh, The first warning sign in chapter 3 that we see is Solomon's choice of a wife. Look at verse 1. It says, "Solomon, Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. Then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall all around Jerusalem. Now the first thing that Solomon did wrong was that he became unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. He married a pagan. Now this was not an issue of ethnicity. I want you to understand that. This was an issue of spirituality. The Bible does not condemn the marriage of people from different races. Uh, That is a common misnomer, but that is found nowhere in the Bible. As a matter of fact, Moses married somebody from a different race. But the Bible does condemn the marriage of a believer to an unbeliever. You can find that in several places in the Word of God. Exodus 34, Deuteronomy 7, 2 Corinthians 6. So marrying outside of the faith is condemned. Listen, young man, young lady, if you're listening to this, I want you to understand something. Don't go out with somebody and certainly don't marry somebody who is an unbeliever with the attitude that you're going to go out with them and get them converted. Listen, that's not, that's not what's going to happen. What's going to happen is they're going to convert you to the ways of the world. If you're interested in getting somebody converted, you get them, you get them saved and then you think about going out with them or think about marrying them. You ask the Lord to save them. And if they become a believer, then you think about going out with them. But until then, the Bible, you're not in the Lord's will if you're dating an unbeliever or marrying an unbeliever. So marrying outside of the faith is really what eventually led Solomon into idolatry, led him away from the Lord. And that's exactly what it'll do to you as well. So his poor example is really a warning for Christians today not to pursue any type of romantic relationship with anyone who is not committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. All you're asking for is problems if you do that. And another problem with this marriage 
was that it formed a very unholy alliance with Egypt. Of all places, Egypt. Egypt, remember, is really the opposite of everything that God stands for. Egypt represents the world. It's, they represent everything opposite of what God intended for the people of Israel. Nevertheless, <clears throat> Solomon married a pagan woman from Egypt. In those days, and it's probably the case here, more than likely it's the case with Solomon, these royal marriages were intended to secure political and military alliances. And so by marrying the Pharaoh's daughter, Solomon was probably trying to help Israel become an even bigger player on the stage of the international politics in that day and time. So not only was he seduced by sex with this pagan woman, he was also seduced by power. He thought this would bring him and Israel more power. But God wanted his people to trust in him alone. Listen, God didn't want his people to rely on anything other than him for their security. And so by aligning themselves with this foreign power, Solomon was sinning against the Lord. This is also a warning for us, by the way. It's a warning for us not to try to advance our position or try to gain more power for ourselves by joining forces with worldly people or worldly entities because the people of the world, the things of the world, ultimately they're actually working against the kingdom of God. If they're not for the kingdom of God, they're against the kingdom of God. So we're not to ally ourselves with, with things like that. <clears throat> there also seems to be a warning sign in Solomon's building priorities here. Verse 1 mentions Solomon's great life's work of building a house for God. That's the temple in Jerusalem. But it also mentions that Solomon built a house for himself. And as we'll go on to see as we go through First Kings, Solomon spent more time and money on his own house than he did on the house that he built for the Lord. <clears throat> so that shows us that Solomon's heart was also tempted away from his devotion to the Lord by the love of money. The Bible, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. And Solomon, we see that early on in his life. Another warning well, I think we see here is that it uh, <clears throat> seems that Solomon failed to worship the Lord correctly. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 2 says that until Solomon built his temple, the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. And then in verse 4, we see just like his people, Solomon also sacrificed <clears throat> and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. So apparently, Solomon and his people were worshiping in the name of the, of the Lord, in the name of the one true God. But this term high place has extremely negative connotations in the Old Testament. These high places were... Actually, elevations where Canaanites had worshipped their uh, pagan deities, their false gods. And before long, these high places became totally associated with pagan idolatry in the Old Testament. Also, in verse 3, it seems <clears throat> to present that Solomon's worship at the high place is an exception to his love for the Lord. <clears throat> verse 3 says, Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burnt incense at the high places. 
So this was some sort of idolatrous exception to Solomon's dedication to the Lord. He should not have been worshiping there. The law of Moses explicitly commanded the people of God to destroy the high places of pagan idolatry. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 2 and verse 4. Deuteronomy 12, verses 5 and 6 says that instead of worshiping at those old high places, the people were called to worship God at his chosen place in Jerusalem. So if this was what God commanded, then why in the world was Solomon leading these people in this questionable practice of worshiping at these high places? Well, the only answer is that he was sinning against the Lord in doing so. Should not have been doing that. But I want you to notice there's a change that took place after Solomon met with God at Gibeon. In verse 15, it's going to go on to say that he eventually came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings, offered peace offerings, and made a feast for all his servants there. So he came to Jerusalem to do this. And this is where Solomon and his people should have been worshiping all along. That's where the tent of meeting was, there in Jerusalem. Instead, they started out worshiping at those high places. And what we really see in that is a horrible foreshadowing of their coming apostasy. We're going to find out as we go along in 1 Kings, when we come to chapter 11, that both Solomon and his people will later go back to these high places and commit idolatry there. So, while it's true that Solomon was a man after David's heart, He was a man who loved the Lord. It's also true that he had a wandering heart that loved money, sex, and power also. You know, those are the very same temptations that led to the downfall of Adonijah, Joab, and Shimei back in chapter 2. Really, Solomon is a lot like us in this regard. He loved the Lord as every, every true Christian does love the Lord. But at the same time, he loved some other things in his life as well. He had some sinful passions remaining in his life that would eventually turn him away from God. Solomon was righteous, but Solomon was a sinner at the same time, just like us. You know, the Bible says that through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are made perfectly righteous in the sight of God. But the Bible also tells us as long as we live in this sinful world, we will continue to struggle with sin. We'll continually struggle with our sin nature. So this means that we need to watch out for warning signs in our own lives. Warning signs of sins that may turn us away from God the same way these sins eventually turn Solomon away from God. We need to watch out for those things in our lives. And we need to deal with them before they get to a point where they turn us away from the Lord. Well, this leads us to where Solomon is about to have an encounter with the Lord, and he's going to make a very wise request of the Lord. And in order for him to resist a temptation that's going to come his way and live by the Word of God, and in order for us to do the same thing, we need the spiritual wisdom to be able to do so. And this wisdom is precisely what Solomon so famously asked for. In verse 5, as Solomon worshipped, it says, The Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask, what shall I give you? 
So God appears to Solomon here and he invited Solomon to ask whatever he wished for. Ask whatever you want and I'll give it to you, the Lord says to him. Well, I want you to first of all recognize that this invitation was also a test. Because the way that Solomon responded would reveal the godliness or the ungodliness that was in his heart. That, can, that his character consisted of. So here's what Solomon prayed. He prayed in verses 7 and 8, and he said, Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too, number, uh, too numerous to be numbered or counted. So I want you to notice, first of all, that Solomon begins his prayer very reverently. He begins it by proclaiming who God is and what God has done. He declares that God is the Lord and that He is His God, that He is Solomon's personal God. He acknowledges that the God of David has put him on the throne of Israel. He didn't put himself there. He didn't just happen to wind up there. God placed him there. And he remembers that God has chosen his people. And when he says that they are too numerous to be too numerous to be counted, you know what Solomon's doing there? Solomon is really echoing God's promise back to him. He's kind of praying God's promise back to him. He's echoing the Abrahamic covenant back to God. The Abrahamic covenant was that uh, his children would be as countless as the stars in the sky or the sands on the seashore, according to Genesis chapter 22. And uh, Solomon is, is uh, saying that this is what has taken place. God has kept his promise. So Solomon's wise request here, we see, was firmly based on a proper knowledge of the greatness of God. And also it shows us an example of how we should pray. We should pray by acknowledging that God is Lord of all, that He is our God, that He is at work in our lives, and that He keeps His promises. So Solomon's wise request is also based on a proper knowledge of Solomon's own limitations. Notice that Solomon calls himself a little child who doesn't know how to come in or go out. What does he mean by that? Well, he means this. He doesn't mean that he's a little child. We know at this point Solomon already has a child of his own, so he's a grown man. What he means is that he is inexperienced, and he doesn't know how to be king. And so he is dependent upon God to give him the help and the wisdom that he needs. And so he was saying that he didn't know what to do, and so he needed God's help. It's a cry for God's help. And so that leads us to his request. He makes his request in verse 9. He says, Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? Solomon asked for an understanding heart. What that literally says is a, a hearing heart. That word understanding literally means hearing. So he's literally asking the Lord for a hearing heart or a heart that hears. Folks, Solomon, this is what he wanted. He wanted a heart in tune with the will of God. That's what he wanted. 
You know, if we have a <clears throat> heart that is in tune with the will of God, then we'll be doing the will of God in our lives. And that is worth more than anything that we could ever conjure up in our own minds. That's worth more than anything that we could ever ask for. Because if we are in the will of God, we're going to have true joy, true peace, true happiness in our lives that nothing else will bring. So Solomon said he wanted a heart that hears the will of God. And he said he wanted it to be able to properly govern God's people. He didn't ask for that for selfish reasons. He really made an unselfish, uh, kingdom-minded prayer request. He, He asked for something that would benefit all people, benefit the kingdom of God. He prayed unselfishly. And we should pray the same way. We should pray like Solomon. Uh, with reverence, we should begin uh, by reminding ourselves uh, of the character of God, reminding ourselves and being thankful for His saving work in our lives. In humility, we should acknowledge our own limitations. Uh, we should openly admit how weak we are and that we can do nothing without the Lord. And with confidence, then, we should ask God for the wisdom we need to serve Him to the very best of our abilities and whatever He has called us to do. And we shouldn't make these requests <clears throat> uh, for ourselves primarily, although we should make them for ourselves, but primarily we should ask these things for the good of God's people and for the sake of His kingdom. And so we see where God grants Solomon this request. He was pleased with Solomon's unselfish prayer, and he granted him what he asked for in verses 10 through 12. It says, The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. So notice that God was just as pleased with what King Solomon did not ask for, as he was with what he did ask for. You notice that? By asking for wisdom, Solomon was refusing to ask for any of the things that most people want out of life. He didn't ask for a long life. He didn't ask for riches. He did not even ask uh, for revenge against his enemies. It wouldn't have been wrong to ask for any of those things, to be honest with you. A long life is good. Money can be very useful. Money can be used for good things. And it's certainly better to pray for uh, pray for vengeance than to take it into our own hands, right? Solomon could have uh, asked for any of those things for the sake of the kingdom of God. But Solomon understood something. He understood that those earthly things were far inferior to the supreme gift of spiritual wisdom and discernment. He would later write in Proverbs 8.11 that wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. You see, Solomon knew 
that the wisdom to know what is right, the wisdom to know the will of God is helpful for every situation in life. It's far better than any of those earthly things. And so he wisely asked God for the gift of a discerning heart. And God was was pleased with that. He was pleased with what Solomon asked for, and he granted him his request. And Solomon became what God promised. He became the wisest man who ever lived. And to this very day, we can learn from King Solomon's wisdom. Uh, we're learning it right now tonight in First Kings. We also learn it by reading his wise writings and sayings in the books of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. If you need good advice for life, you turn to those three books and you'll get it. And then after giving Solomon this wisdom, <clears throat> I want you to notice what God did as icing on the cake. God proceeded to give him even more than what he could ever ask or imagine. He said in verses 13 and 14, I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. So even though Solomon did not seek the blessings of wealth and fame, uh, guess what? God gave them to him anyway. And really, Solomon serves as a great example of a very important principle that Jesus teaches us in the New Testament. In Matthew 6, 33, he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that's what Solomon did. He sought first the kingdom of God. He sought first God's righteousness. And then Jesus says, All these things will be added unto you. And that's exactly what happened for Solomon. And that is exactly what will happen for us. So <clears throat> Solomon gains this wisdom. After he woke up from his dream, it says in verse 15, Solomon, this is how he responded. He came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, offered up burnt offerings and offered peace offerings, and made a feast for all of his servants. Notice that Solomon's wisdom began right out of the gate. What did he do? He responded to God's gift by giving thanks and honor and praise to the giver. You know, the Bible says in James 1.17 that every good and perfect gift comes from God. So if we're going to live wisely, you know what we ought to do? We ought to live our lives filled with thanksgiving and worship toward the good giver. Every single day we should give thanks for his gifts. And that's exactly what Solomon did. And listen, Solomon never regretted his decision to make wisdom his only wish from the Lord. And really, he counsels us to make the same choice. In Proverbs 4, 7 through 9, he says this. He says, Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Praise, uh, prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Solomon tells us to get wisdom. Get wisdom. You know, the way for us to follow Solomon's wise advice here, the way for us to get wisdom is to study the Scripture. 
Study the scriptures which Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.15 are able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And also to seek the wisdom of God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, for as wise as Solomon was, and the Bible says he was the wisest man who ever lived. No one come before him that was any wiser, and it says no one come after him that was any wiser. For as wise as Solomon was, guess what? The Bible says that Jesus Christ is infinitely more wise than Solomon. When the Gospel of Matthew in Matthew twelve forty two speaks of the world famous wisdom of Solomon, it goes on to say in twelve forty two that a greater than Solomon is here. But I want you to know tonight that the greater one the greater than Solomon is the Lord Jesus Christ, who according to Paul in 1 Corinthians one twenty four, is the power and wisdom of God. The Bible says in Colossians 2.3 that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Jesus Christ. Listen, the supreme wisdom of Jesus Christ is available for the asking. Now, we may say, people may be jealous today that Solomon got to make such a wish and was granted such a wish, but the very same thing is available to us, just like it was for Solomon. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Jesus said in John fifteen seven, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. And in 1 John five fourteen, says, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Folks, do you need wisdom? Do you need wisdom for salvation? It's in Christ. Do you need wisdom for your career, for a job? It's in Christ. Do you need wisdom for the future? It's in Christ. Do you need wisdom to mend a broken relationship? You can find it in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have uh, family problems that you need wisdom for? You can find it in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, the Bible gives us this promise in James 1.5. To anyone who asks in faith, it says, If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. <clears throat> Folks, if you need wisdom, I don't care what kind of wisdom, wisdom for anything, it can be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I want to close this message in giving you some foolish, wise advice. Now, that sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? I mean, is there a such thing as foolish, wise advice? Well, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18, 18 through 25 and verse 30. He says this. He says, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved... No, it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God 
has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through, the, through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God, and he made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Folks, the wisest thing you can ever do, though it may seem foolish to this world, is to place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and His finished work of redemption for you. And then, if you'll live your life with Him as your guide, you'll be wise. That's the wisest thing you can ever do. I ask you, have you done that? Have you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? And if so, are you allowing Him to be the Lord of your life and guide you? You live with Him as your guide, you'll have His wisdom guiding you. And you'll be in the best position you can be to have meaning and purpose in your life.